Good evening, and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. I hope that everyone is hunkered down safely. These times are indeed dark. But for the next hour, I'm going to guide you all around North America, visiting nightmare after nightmare. And to kick us off this evening, we begin with a story that takes place in a state not necessarily known for its UFO activity. But Caroline in Florida has a story that might change all that. Hi, Derek. My name is Caroline calling from Florida, and I wanted to share my UFO story with you. This takes place in Titus, Alabama, where I grew up. And Titus is a small rural town in central Alabama, about an hour north of Montgomery. So I was maybe 13 or 14 when this story happened. So this was about 2007 or 2008. I don't remember what month it was, but I know I was out of school and it was summertime. I love spending time outdoors and one of my favorite things to do during the summer was go out in our backyard and stargaze because I didn't have to be up for school the next day. On this particular night, I uh, couldn't have been out any later than 10 p.m. and I was sitting out on the back deck of our house looking out at the sky. To give you a little context, Alabama's pretty wooded, so there are a few large trees in the yard and there's a tree line about 200 feet to my left and another tree line about 200 feet to my right, sort of lining either side of the property. But there was still a wide open space where you can see plenty of sky, and it was a beautiful, clear, starry night, not a cloud in the sky. So as I'm sitting there stargazing, I begin to notice this large shape slowly drifting over the tree line to my left, which would have meant it was coming from the south. And it makes my stomach drop just thinking about that moment because I didn't know what this was at first. I didn't know what to think. I thought maybe this is a plane, which would have been scary enough because it would have had to have been flying pretty low to look as big as it did. And as this thing is slowly but steadily starting to cross over the backyard, I realize it's not a plane or any other aircraft I've ever seen. And instead, it's a huge black square. So imagine if you held up a pizza box and you just saw the bottom, but you couldn't see the sides. That's what this was like. I couldn't tell if it had any height to it, and it didn't have a clear outline. It just kind of blacked out the sky, like it was darker than the sky. And it's moving at an angle across the yard towards me, basically almost passing directly over me. I can see that it has four quadrants or sections of lights. Two sections were made up of blue lights, and the other two are red lights. The colors of these four quadrants were alternated like a checkerboard. They didn't blink. They didn't change color, and they didn't seem to really light up the underside of the craft either. And it is dead silent. So when I saw this thing, I was definitely scared. Like, I remember thinking, please don't do anything crazy. Please don't see me. Just keep moving. And it felt like forever watching this happen, watching this move across the sky, but it probably didn't take more than a minute or so for this to pass over the yard. Um, It kept heading north, passed over my right shoulder, And it disappeared over the tree line to the right. And after it went out of sight, I just got up and went inside and went to bed. My parents were inside watching TV, none the wiser about what had just happened outside, and I didn't tell them anything. Maybe I thought that they wouldn't believe me, but mostly I just knew that they weren't going to be able to explain what I saw. You know, what were they going to do about it? I was mostly shocked. You know, I didn't go outside at night after that. (laughs) 
I've always been interested in paranormal subjects, but I'd never seen anything like this before or since for that matter. And what's craziest about this to me is that this wasn't just strange moving light. This wasn't just some indiscernible shape far up in the sky, but it was a full-blown craft. And that leaves me with a lot more questions than answered. It's not something that I can just explain away. I've tried to research this, but you don't find anything about giant flying checkerboards in the sky. I mentioned that it comes from the south because that would be the home of Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery. And I would love to know if anyone has had a similar encounter as I did because I would love some answers. Thanks so much for listening to my encounter. Bye. Thank you, Caroline. Now I need everyone to hang on here because we're about to go down a rabbit hole. When Caroline mentioned that her experience took place in Alabama, I immediately recalled a UFO flap that took place back in 1989 in that state. Now before we proceed, I think it's prudent to point out that the first gentleman that's interviewed is the second man speaking in the following clip is actually the chief of police in this particular town. Check this out. Fife, Alabama, population about 1,300, a town tucked away in the hills of DeKalb County, a place where farming is a lifeblood. So naturally, when something happens out of the ordinary, it becomes a talk of the town. This thing come flying straight at us and over us, and it had a, I remember seeing a red light on it, and it had a white light, and it was just a big object. It didn't make sound. That was that was the mystery part to me. Fred Works is talking about the bizarre object he and about 20 others saw last Friday night. I mean, I'm not saying I seen something from outer space, you know. It just unexplained, mostly because of the, the sound. There was no sound. It was just silent. Residents called the police department saying the UFO was shaped like a banana with lights on it. Now, all of this business about a UFO has caused quite a stir in the past few days. A local business printed this T-shirt. It says, Welcome Home, E.T. And someone created their own version of a banana-shaped lighted object. Late this evening, we visited Donna Saylor, the lady first spotting the object in the night sky. Uh, there was red lights at the top and the bottom and green lights that outlined it and bright light that come right through the middle of it. It would turn while we were watching it and just like looking at a real pretty fireworks. There was no sound or anything and it went out. It disappeared right in front of us. We didn't see it fly off. We didn't see it do anything. It just went out. This evening, the sun sinking in the west and the moon slowly taking its place were the only visuals in the sky. Residents hope to find out what it was they saw, but chances are they never will. In DeKalb County, West Terrain, WAFF 48, the news at 10. Now that clip comes courtesy of WAFF, NBC News 48, out of Huntsville and Decatur. Now I'm aware that there is an 18-year difference between the Fife Flap and Caroline's experience, but I thought it was worth mentioning, at the very least. After all, the two locations are less than 150 miles apart, and Fife still holds its annual UFO days every August. But as I started digging a little deeper, I stumbled upon a sightings TV show clip that details gruesome cattle mutilations. Guess where? Fife. Alabama, 1993. Here's that clip. It's a mystery that remains unexplained after 30 years of investigation. Some claim alien forces are responsible. Others claim cult activity or secret government testing. Cattle mutilation. 
the most recent outbreak appears to have been in a three-county area of northeastern Alabama. Over 50 cases of mutilation have been reported in just the past six months. Organs appear to have been removed with surgical precision. So far, the farmers in the area have lost more than $40,000 in livestock. With such tremendous losses, the police department in Fife, Alabama, has launched an intensive investigation. Ted Oliphant is a Fife police officer who has personally investigated more than 30 cattle mutilation cases. We're finding the same thing over and over again. The sex organs have been removed from the animals, the tongues have been cut out of them, the jaw has been stripped into oval, clean to the bone, and all without blood. Who or what is responsible for the seemingly ritualistic slaughter of these cattle? Researchers have little to go on beyond these decomposing carcasses. And despite attempts to prove that a sinister force is at work here, some experts believe the mutilations are all the result of natural causes. Of course, I've linked to all of these videos in tonight's show notes. And I cut some of these segments down for time. So go see what you missed. Now, cattle mutilations aren't really brought up much on the show, if at all, really. But anytime you think about the phenomena, Alabama doesn't exactly top that list of places where it occurs. But here we are. I guess it's a little hot spot that I just didn't know about. And as for Caroline's actual sighting, we've heard reports like this before. Though I have to say, this is only one of a few that reported a square craft. Now, I'm sure I did very little to shed any light on what Caroline actually saw that night. But if her neighbors to the north have anything to say about it, it might have been something out of this world. Oh, and I thought I should mention this as well. If the craft that Caroline saw was traveling north, as she said, that would put Fife nearly directly in its path. Thanks again, Caroline. That was fun to dive into. Now this next one comes to us from an anonymous source out of the state of Texas. Hi, uh, I love the podcast, so I figured I might as well share a personal story of my own. All of this happened in my current house, and I live in Houston. Our home was built around the 1950s, and the same goes for both of my neighbors. And my boyfriend's grandma used to live in our neighbor's house to my right, and his sister's family lives to the left of us. So all three houses, you know. His grandma, both of his sisters, and his two nephews that used to live with all of us claim that all three properties are haunted. But I never believed them because I came to visit almost every week for two years while I was dating him and not living here, and I never experienced anything weird. So flash forward to me moving in around May of 2014, and automatically weird stuff starts happening. Like, my stuff started disappearing. I lost one of my shoes for like three months and it reappeared in the middle of my bedroom floor on the same day that I got a new pair of shoes, like smack dab in the middle of a clean room. So that was weird. Some things would disappear and just not show up, like silverware or money or little trinket things, markers, you know. Lights will turn on and off. When I blink, like, I don't have a bathroom door. We kind of have, like, a blanket hanging there right now. And I went in there the other day, and it's like I sat down, I closed my eyes, I opened my eyes and my living room light that I know for a fact was on was off, so that was pretty scary. It's stuff like that that happens it's right when you blink your eyes. Feeling like somebody will sit by my legs on my bed. So I've had 
I have three cats right now, and I know what it feels like when they're walking up on the bed by me, and that's what it'll feel like. It's either like a cat is walking right on my side on the bed, or somebody comes down and just sits beside me by my legs on my bed, and I look back and nobody's there. So that's little things that were happening. But this seemingly related, like, string of events starts with one of the weird noises. I'd hear weird noises all the time, but I've got cats, so most of them would be counted off as just the cats making noise. This happened like six months ago. The day before I cleaned the entire house spotless, the day before this happened. So I woke up to a crashing noise in my living room and I go out to check what it is and it looks like my cat knocked over like a Coke can and it's just laying on the floor sideways. And it's got maybe like a third of the way of soda filled in it and none of it has spilled on the floor. So I pick it back up and throw it away and I'm just like, You know, the cat's knocked over a can, so I look at all the other rooms, there's nothing else on the floor, and I go back to bed. And later that day when my boyfriend got home, I tell him about it, and he says that he heard the can fall over this morning and thought it was weird that it hadn't spilled, and he put it back on top of the bookcase. So I thought it was kind of weird that it didn't spill both times and that we both woke up to the sound of it, but I figured the cats did it, and it, like, fell a certain way that it wouldn't spill out or anything, so that was that. And then a couple months later, I was laying down trying to fall asleep after my boyfriend left for work around like 5 or 6 a.m. And right when I was on the edge of being asleep, I heard a really loud clap under me, like directly under my head, under my bed. And I jump awake because I'm scared and all of my cats are in the bed with me and all of them are alerted. But I thought it must be exploding head syndrome or something. And my cats are just alert because they saw me. Another crashing sound that I'm waking up to, but that was that. So I went back to sleep. And then a month ago, around 5 p.m., I was wide awake and I'm waiting for my boyfriend to get home. And I'm calling him, calling him, you know, because he said I'll be home at 5 and he wasn't there. So I'm like, are you alive? You know, I'm just calling him and calling him. And my phone was on the charger and my charger is like, it's on the opposite of my door. So I'm facing the wall, having my phone charged. And it's like behind me, out of nowhere, as I'm calling him and calling him, I hear the loudest, most bone-chilling, like, thunderous clap I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, the only way I could explain it to my boyfriend is it was like the hands of God, like, clapped together directly behind my head. And I jumped out of my bed. I got on my tiptoes. You know, I turned cold. It felt like ice ran up my whole body. And I just ran outside of my house without my phone because I knew my boyfriend would be home soon, and I just waited for him. But, I mean, that was that. I don't really know how you could explain something like that happening, but those creepy three loud noises that happened in my house are my story. I'm sorry if I rushed through everything. It's just, ooh, really creepy to talk about. I'm excited to call back in with more stories. Thank you so much for the podcast. I listen to it every night when I go to sleep. It probably doesn't help living in a house like this and listening to that, but uh, have a good one. Thank you, caller. That is a lot of activity for any place, let alone a place you previously thought to be void of said activity. A lot of what's mentioned to be taking place is fairly common for cases like this. Moving items, the instance with the missing shoe, and of course the disembodied voices. That is, if you buy into this sort of thing at all. And I have to say I enjoyed the bit about the Coke can, and two things stuck out to me. One, that although anecdotal, I think that experience is worth something. Sure, it could have been the cats, some sort of coincidence. But if it wasn't, 
How did it get knocked over twice? And regardless of that, how did it not spill both times? And I also thought it was a bit funny that the caller threw the can away when she found it and the boyfriend simply put it back on the counter when he did. That's how we get this reputation, fellas. Thanks again, caller, for sharing that. I hope the activity subsides for you relatively soon. Now before we dive into our next call, I want to remind everyone that we sell merchandise. We have t-shirts, mugs, totes, and a few other goodies. So if you're looking for something schnazzy to wear tonight, hit up the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the shop tab. Now our next tale takes us north to the state of Massachusetts. This is Dee Dee's Call. Hi, Derek. I am a new listener to the podcast. I'm so glad I found you. I have been binging you for the last couple of weeks. It's wonderful to find a venue where folks can share their weird experiences. My name is Dee, and I'm a first-time caller, and I live in Massachusetts, about halfway between the land of the Dover Demon and the Bridgewater Triangle, oddly enough. And I've had many weird experiences in my life, but I wanted to share one with you that pretty much stands out among the strangeness. This happened in the early 1970s when I was a teenager. And as I mentioned before, I've had very strange things happen to me, which I have no good explanation for in my life. One of these happened when I was a teenager. I lived in a town not far from here with my parents and siblings on a side street just east of a main road. The the house we lived in at the time was on a little hill and my bedroom was located on the west side of the house over the garage. There was a west-facing window in my bedroom from which I looked out over the driveway below. Beyond the driveway, there was a fence, probably, I would say, maybe five yards away, maybe a little more, which surrounded my neighbor's yard and their home beyond. Further west beyond their property was the previously mentioned main road. My bed was uh, positioned lengthwise along the west wall of my bedroom, and I was in the habit of sitting on the end of my bed with my elbows propped on the window ledge, and uh, particularly in the summertime. Many an evening would find me in that spot, and I'd be admiring the sunset, watching the cars go by on the main road, and just basically kind of daydreaming. So one very hot and muggy summer night, I was gazing out my window in this way, watching for fireflies and listening to the katydids. The rest of my family was retired for the evening. It was a weeknight. It was probably between 10 and 11 p.m., and everything was quiet. We did not have air conditioning in those days, and it was too hot to sleep. The neighbor's home on the other side of the fence was completely dark. They were an older couple, and their children were grown and gone, and I guess that they, too, had gone to bed for the evening. So I'm just sitting there, just kind of gazing out the window, not thinking of anything in particular, and suddenly, without warning, a dazzling bright light, I would say it was probably about the size of a softball, rose up from behind the fence directly in front of me. It wasn't an orb. It looked as if it was burning somehow with white fire. The closest thing I could relate it to would be like a sparkler that, you know, the children have on the 4th of July, but there was no sizzling sound or crackling sound or hiss. It was completely silent, and there was not a soul in sight, and it rose up. The fence was about six feet tall, and it rose up a few feet above the fence. Again, it was only five or six yards away from where I was sitting behind the window screen, 
And it just sort of hovered there for a minute and then disappeared back down behind the fence. So I wasn't frightened initially at all. First reaction was just curiosity. What the heck is that? I had heard of will-o'-the-wisps and St. Elmo's fire and ball lightning and, and all of those kind of anomalies. And I just thought, well, maybe this is something like that. You know, and I had also heard about ball lightning, and I remembered that it was usually accompanied by thunderstorms, and there were no thunderstorms in the area on this night. It was a completely clear night. The stars were out. There were no clouds. I had also heard that ball lightning tends to be very, will happen and then explode loudly, and there was no sound to this at all. I don't know anyone who's ever seen anything like this. Again, I was just sitting there, you know, not frightened and just wondering what the heck I was looking at. So as I was sitting there, calmly just kind of thinking about this, out of the corner of my eye, I saw it again to my right. It was moving up the road in front of my house, and it was just sort of lazily rolling along in the gutter. It didn't appear to bounce. It just kind of rolled straight along the, the side, you know, next to the sidewalk in the road. And I sat there just thinking, what the heck is that thing? And then all of a sudden, it did something so unexpected, I was terrified. It got to the end of our driveway, and it suddenly just took a razor-sharp turn and started rolling right up the driveway toward the house and toward me, where I was sitting in the driveway. I was terrified. I jumped up, pulled the window down, locked it ran to the other side of the room, shut the other window, and locked it, jumped into my bed, pulled the covers up to my chin, and just sat there saying, please, whatever it is, make it go away. And again, I, I, you know, I was thinking ball lightning, but there, was no, there were no clouds. There were no storms. So that wasn't a good explanation for me. So I basically didn't sleep very much that night. And in the morning, I told my parents about it, and they didn't seem at all concerned about it. They just probably thought it was some silly thing that I either made up or dreamed. And I have never seen it since. Don't know what it was and don't care to see it again, frankly. So that's my story. And again, I'm so thrilled to find your podcast. I love it. I'm binging away on it. Best of luck, and I hope it continues. Thanks, Derek. Bye-bye. Thank you, Didi. I have to be honest here. What you experienced sounds a lot like ball lightning. I searched around a bit and found a few videos and this witness encounter by a scientist, no less. And I thought this encounter sounded eerily similar to Didi's. One scientist who's been inspired by his own close encounter is nuclear physicist Dr. Graham Hubler. I have seen ball lightning myself, so I, I, would, uh, I know that it exists. A teenage Hubler is on a date in a park in upstate New York. A storm breaks out. The couple take shelter in a bandstand. And suddenly, off to our left, we're sitting there with open sides on the left and the front. Off to the left, we saw this ball approaching, ball of light. And, of course, we were terrified. What the heck was this? We didn't know what it was. Slowly, the ball approaches. It was about 30 yards away and coming slowly at us, just kind of drifting, ambling along, drifting along. And we're looking at this thing and, and just we were both just paralyzed, actually. 
To their horror, it enters the bandstand and rolls across the floor past the couple's feet with a strange sound. The sound it was making was like a freshly struck match. At the other side of the bandstand, the ball leaps back up and travels out of the open side. And it jumped right back up to about six feet off the ground and went out another 20, 30 feet out into the night and then very quickly dropped to the ground and, and extinguished without a noise. The experience leaves Hubler with a lifelong fascination with ball lightning. He collects thousands of eyewitness accounts. There's multiple ball lightning, balls that fell from the sky, that exploded, hissed, spun, hovered, jumped. It's even been seen to pass through solid objects without leaving a trace. There is no good theory that exists that explains the features of ball lightning. Different theories can explain one or two of the, the features of ball lightning, but uh, none, none really uh, do a very good job of explaining it all. That clip is from Naked Science, and I highly recommend watching the entire video. They do a really good job of introducing the layman to the phenomenon. We'll touch more on this in a little bit. Thank you, Didi, for sharing that call. Now, a quick reminder that I'm still looking for those military stories. That special episode is coming up quickly, so if you have one, you know what to do. Call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And be sure to mention the word military somewhere early on in the call so I don't miss it. Now, unlike most pleas for help shared on this show, I think I can actually contribute to this next one. But first, let's hear from Emily in the state of Georgia. Hi, Derek. This is Emily from North Georgia, and my car is haunted. I just turned 16 in September, and I received a 2000 Ford Expedition that was my grandmother's. I believe this car is haunted for a couple different reasons. One of them being that whenever I pull up in the driveway, the dogs go absolutely nuts. And my mother has a car very similar to mine, but similar size. It's a GMC Yukon. And it sounds the same and everything, so I don't think it's the size or the noise of the car that is bothering the dogs. Whenever you get into the car, you just kind of feel this presence, like there's an arm wrapping around your shoulder. It's really comforting. It's not creepy at all, honestly. I think it's my great-granddad who died a couple months after I was born for some reasons. A couple years after my granddad died, my grandmother and grandfather were heading up to Pennsylvania to go see my aunt and uncle and their children. And they were stuck in some traffic, dead stop, and a semi-truck on the other side of the road had gotten away. The brakes were failing or something and crashed into my grandparents' car, totaling it. A steel beam went through the windshield, and had it been a couple feet to the right or left, it would have killed one of them. Another time, the car came to my house because my parents divorced. My father wanted a car to carry my siblings and I around in, and the car was at my house, at my father's house, and it made a growling noise. I was standing outside of the car. The car was completely cool off, and there was this rattling, growling noise coming from the engine of this car and I was totally spooked from it because I did not expect it and came out of nowhere and when I'm at my grandmother's house 
the car idles faster. Conroy is a V8 engine, pretty large. It normally idles at about two miles per hour, even going down like a hill or something. But at my grandmother's house on flat ground, it idles about, at about 20 miles per hour. Maybe that is just my imagination or my projection of my feelings, but I swear that's what it seems to be. Thank you. I really love this podcast. It totally gives me the heebie-jeebies when I'm alone. Uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, Emily. I thought of a little experiment that you can try, even during the quarantine. If the vehicle is in fact a V8, then it's likely to have a tachometer the gauge used to tell how many revelations per minute your vehicle is registering. On average, your expedition should idle at about 600 to 800 RPMs. So with this info, I encourage Emily to go to a few different places in her town, including the grandmother's house. Record the RPMs from each location. You should be able to tell right away if you have some sort of anomaly. Now make sure the vehicle is warmed up each time so that you get an accurate reading. And I guess if yours is one of those rare vehicles that does not have a tech gauge, perhaps there's an app out there that records and displays frequency. You might be able to compare the audible purr of the engine, which should sound different at variable RPMs. And that, my friends, is MAU Car Talk. So thank you again, Emily, for sharing. And please... Drive safe. Now, before we dive into the back end, I just want to remind everyone that we have several different social media platforms for you to choose from. We have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now Reddit. Addie, Warren, Tony, John, Sarah, and Josh work tirelessly to provide us a safe place to share our experiences. So hop on over, check those out today. Now, this time of year usually kicks off our camping season. But like everyone else, I don't think it's happening this year. So why don't we play a call that takes place while camping? The following was submitted by some fairly unhappy campers in the state of Idaho. Hey Derek, I got a story I thought I'd share with you. This occurred in Riggins, Idaho, uh, back around spring of 96 or 97. A group of friends and I I would travel to a town called Riggins, Idaho, which was about, oh, 40, 50 miles north of the town in which I was from. Some friends and I would like to get out of the snow, to persist well into May in the town that we were from. And Riggins, since it's about 4,000 feet lower in elevation, the snow is usually long gone there by the spring. So we were camping at the confluence of the Salmon River and French Creek, and we were hanging out and had a campfire, just having fun. It was getting pretty late, probably around midnight, one o'clock, when I suggested that we should go for a walk. It was a nice, clear night, and yeah, everybody agreed, so we decided to walk down the Salmon River Road, which is right next to our camp, towards the east, towards Wind River Bridge, is where we decided to walk. We weren't too far from camp, and I started noticing in my periphery on my left that there was what I thought was the moon, because it had the same hue, size, color, 
I kind of paid attention to it for not longer than a few seconds before I looked in front of me and to the east, I could see the moon just starting to crest the mountain in front of me. So I immediately turned my head while yelling to my friends, look, 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 you know, it was pretty dark. So I don't think any of my friends knew exactly which direction I was pointing. But before they knew it, I was running back down the road to get a clearer view at an object that I saw in the sky. This object was a white, glowing, very luminous oval about the size of my thumbnail, maybe a little smaller than the moon. It was at a 45 degree angle, slowly moving down, and it had this white vapor coming off of it that was glowing. It looked literally like if you dipped an object in liquid nitrogen and slowly pushed it through the atmosphere. I glanced at this thing for one second, and it was slightly obscured by the tree that was in front of me. So I ran about five steps back down the road to get a clearer view. And I look at the road for two seconds to see where I'm running so I don't fall on my face and turn my head back to look at this thing, and it was completely gone. Not a trace of it in the sky. My friends were just kind of like, what the hell are you, you know, we didn't see anything. (laughs) What were you talking about? But I saw this thing clear as day. And this thing must have been, it was not close. It was at least two or three miles out. Because, I mean, it's very hard to tell distance at night with some object out in the sky, but I could definitely tell this thing was nowhere near me, which really makes me wonder how large this thing actually was. You know, possibly the size of a city block. I have no idea, but I know it was at least a couple miles out. But yeah, that's the story. I have no idea what it was. I did report it on the National UFO Reporting Center, just hoping that maybe somebody else saw something similar and that's my story and yeah i love the program keep it up thanks Derek. thanks for the submission before i began writing this episode i never would have pegged this for a ball lightning sighting but after researching Didi's submission i'm nearly convinced that that's exactly what our camper saw the color shape behavior the swirling effect and the fact that it seemed to extinguish are all traits often assigned to the phenomenon. Now that said, our caller was adamant that the object was massive and not a basketball-sized ball of lightning, which is often reported. But, as he mentions himself, people have a hard time estimating distance, especially when it comes to objects in the sky. Thank you again, caller, for sharing what you saw that evening. Now before we finish up here, a caller from last week's episode, Mac from Mississippi, caused quite a stir with his Bigfoot abduction story. Well, Mac was kind enough to reach out to our very own Addie Lloyd, and here is what they had to say. Hey there, Monsters Among Us fam. It's Addie, also known as the Crypto Denmon. I wanted to take a moment and send a sincere thank you to all of the essential folks that are keeping the nation and the world going. Thank you. You do not go unnoticed. I want to thank every one of you. With that said, we had an amazing email come through and it was about last week's very popular entry about the Bigfoot who tried to nurse the injured man. 
He reached out and he wanted to acknowledge the hit. He was only about 30 minutes or so from the first caller, her location, which is interesting because we did hear that howl. And he wanted to share a little follow-up that he is completely back to normal. He acutely healed six months faster than doctors expected. And he said that he's not trying to be funny when he says this, but it's his belief that something with that encounter, possibly the milk that he ingested, had to do with his healing. And he wanted to point out that he's still hunting and he still hunts that land. And it was actually been in his family for 120 years. He does have the feeling of being watched when he is out there. And he wanted to say that he was so grateful that his story was shared and that he feels relieved, even though it was unnerving. And so thank you, Mac, from all of the Monsters Among Us community for being candid and sharing with us. Keep it spooky. A big thanks to Mac and Addie for sharing that information. It's great to hear that you recovered, Mac. And thanks again for calling back in. Real quick before we dive into our closing call, I'd like to ask for a very easy favor. There are many people out there doing this quarantine thing all on their own. So please do me a favor and check on your single friends and family. Give them a phone call, a Skype call. Trust me, a little bit goes a long way. And you know what? Since everyone else is locked up and bored, why not share Monsters Among Us with your friends and family as well? Let's reach some more people and maybe scare the hell out of them. Alright, this next call might be a literal nightmare for those that suffer from ophidiophobia or the fear of snakes. The name is difficult to catch, but it sounds like Les or Lessig. Either way, here's his call from the state of New Mexico. Hi, my name's Lessig. I'm calling from New Mexico. I have an interesting story for your podcast. I recently got turned on to your show by a friend. I absolutely love it. Anyways, the story's about my father. He was a bush pilot in 1975 in South America. His job was to fly different scientific teams out to a certain area to do research. Anyways, he took one team out, a German team, and they had a radio. They were supposed to check in like every four days, and they didn't check in. So he was sent to go check it out. He was sent back there. When he arrived there, all the supplies on the dock were still there, nothing had been touched. He walked to the campsite, which was about a quarter of a mile away from the river, and nothing had been used at the campsite, none of the buildings, none of the facilities. He said it was quite strange. There were no animals making any kind of noise from the jungle, no birds. So he decided to fly back and let them know what was going on, which was about an hour away uh, at the airport, and told his boss about it. So his boss decided to try and get hold of some indigenous people to go walk around out there and look for these lost scientists. They said they wouldn't go out to that area. So then his boss said, well, I'm going to, you know, get hold of the Colombian army and see if they can go out and search for these lost people. My father decided on his own to fly back there. So he decided to fly around. 
And as he was flying around, he saw something moving in a tree. So he thought one of the guys may have climbed up a tree and was, you know, trying to get help. So anyways, he flew around this tree and he saw a giant snake's head sitting out of the top of one of these trees. He said it was absolutely huge. He managed to take three or four pictures on a black and white 35 millimeter camera, which I remember seeing as a kid. And he said the snake was wrapped around this tree. This tree was about 150 feet, 200 feet tall. And he estimated the length of the snake was probably 300 feet long. And I remember seeing these pictures and thinking how bizarre this was. I just wish I'd kept one as a kid. He gave the pictures to my mother who lives in England. She recently passed away. When I went back there, I looked for them, but I couldn't find them. And the reason I wanted to tell the story is I wanted to find out if any of your listeners had seen anything like this or heard of any stories like this in South America. But he said this thing was huge. He said its head was the size of a school bus. And he was um, pretty scared to fly too close to it. it said, he said it, if it had the capacity, it would have like bitten off one of the wings on the aircraft. He said this thing was massive. So anyways, thanks a lot. Hope people enjoy my dad's story. Take care. Great show. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. I certainly can't speak for our other listeners, but I have actually heard a story eerily similar to this. But before I share that story, let's hear a little bit about the known giant snakes hiding in our jungles. While Earth's largest snake is South America's anaconda, coming in at about 28 feet. But it's only largest in girth. The longest known snake, a reticulated python from Asia, measured a whopping 33 feet, both easily large enough to consume a human adult. But what if I told you there was a 50-foot snake witnessed in the Republic of the Congo back in 1959? Belgian Air Force Colonel Remy Van Leerd and his crew witnessed a massive green snake slithering out of a hole in the jungle from their helicopter. Now they made several passes and even captured a photo. Here's what Colonel Laird had to say about the experience. To make several passes over the hole where the snake was in enabled to let the man take a picture of it. And I made certainly between four and six passes right over the hole where the snake was in. By then, I was already flying for 25 years, so I have a very good experience of uh, measuring things. And I would say the snake I saw there was close to 50 foot. And it was moving inside the hole and looking very dark green, deep green brown, with his belly white. Now, when I came down on that snake in his hole, and I would say at about 25, 30 foot up, the snake raised up by about, I would say, 10 foot. And I could very clearly, closely see the head, which was looking, and I could not com- make a better comparison, with a very large horse, with big, very, very big jaws, looking triangular. And you're just standing up like that to me, and I, I feel and I'm convinced, if, it, if, it, if I had been in its range, it would have struck at me, it would have been striking me. And yet, I would say it was certainly at least, at least on the very two foot wide and three foot long. It could have easily eaten up a man. 
That clip was taken from Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. A 50-foot snake. That's larger than the largest known species of snake to ever roam the earth, the Titanoboa, which reached lengths of up to 42 feet before going extinct millions of years ago. But get this, there are many that believe that Colonel Laird underestimated the creature in the black and white photograph. Some experts have even estimated its length to be in excess of 190 feet. A true and genuine monster. Now I'll leave you with this one last thought. Colonel Laird was a decorated and celebrated war hero in World War II. I find it hard to believe that he would tarnish that stellar record if he wasn't absolutely sure about what he saw. And since this sequence of events has happened seemingly twice, both with the African and South American cases, it makes me wonder if perhaps it's happened elsewhere as well. So until we find out, keep your eyes open and stay out of the jungle. Thank you again for that great submission. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. That beautiful score that you hear. And that's co.ag. Thank you all for listening. And until next week. I feel bad for anyone that doesn't stick around for the secret stuff. Because tonight, I have a doozy. Calling in from the state of Wyoming, please welcome Caitlin to the program. Hi Derek, my name is Caitlin and I'm from Rock Springs, Wyoming, and where this happened. My story is about the mirrored men I really didn't know about the mirrored men until I started listening to your podcast. And I've been listening to your podcast for like a very long time now. By the way, I love the show. So how it started was when I was about, I want to say, eight or nine years old. Me and my family just moved here from Washington. So I love the rain. And so when it finally started to rain around like May, April-ish, my brother had a really good view of this thunderstorm that was going on and so I was like can I sit in your room and chill and watch the thunderstorm and he was like yeah but I'm gonna go to bed now just so you know and I was like all right so I just sat by his window no chair nothing I just just stood on my knees and then 
put my elbow on the window and started looking out the window and the rain died down a little bit. So then I start seeing these three men walking at the like same pace with like synchronized with each other with suits that all looked alike and even their haircuts even looked alike too. And I was thinking, hmm, that's a little bit weird to that there's three like young looking maybe early 20 year olds walking out in the rain or after the rain died down because there's not really you know that much bars around and I was like huh well I can't wait to be older and you know be 20 21 and walking around whenever I want and I kept looking at them and I was hoping one of them would like I don't know stop or something because they were like so synchronized I was like hmm that's that's cool, I guess. And one of them on the very left, the left man, turns around just his head a little bit and looks at me. And at this time, it was at like 11 p.m. at night. And he looks at me. And all of a sudden, I wake up and it's 7 a.m. in the morning. The sunrise is coming up. And I'm still looking at the window with my elbows on the window and my palm under the knees of my chin and I was like whoa how did that happen so quickly because I'm the one that always loves sleep like I love sleep so much that I would not just have sat there the whole seven eight hours that I was looking at there without going to bed like because I'm like a light sleeper like that and so I thought it was like really weird because I was like hmm all right all right so I went back to bed and then I woke up the next morning and I told my mom about it and she just kind of you know just like brushed it off like oh okay you know whatever and I was like "Mm, that's kind of weird and so years later I'm 21 now and I was listening to your podcast about the mirrored men I was like oh my gosh that is so crazy I I guess I've had an experience with them Yes, that's my story. Thank you so much for listening to me, and I love your podcast, and Mirrored Men is my favorite thing now. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Caitlin. Now, this sounds eerily similar to the original Mirrored Men entry, an experience that happened to my buddy Matt back in the 1990s, somewhere near Cleveland, Ohio. This seems to be the same thing that others have reported when it comes to these mysterious mirrored men, or at the very least, something quite similar. Three figures walking in unison, in bad weather, at night, in a rural location, and of course, the missing time. And strangely, Caitlin described her missing time almost exactly the way Matt did his just a few short years ago. So I hate to continue to use this cliche, but the more mirrored men experiences we get our hands on, the more mysterious this phenomena appears to be. Thank you again, Caitlin, for taking the time to share. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Stay inside, stay healthy, and stay safe. Have a good night.
On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to Counterclock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.